happening CMU sports fans? Welcome back to another season of Maroon and Bold, your home for everything Chippewa sports. I'm your host and CM Life Sports Editor, Sean Chase, here for the first episode of Season 13. It's finally time, folks. Sports are back in Mount Pleasant. In this week's episode, we discuss CMU football's last game, as well as their upcoming game against South Alabama, the CMU soccer team and field hockey team's most recent struggles, before wrapping up with the blazing volleyball team, who heads into another tournament this weekend. The team that I'm the most excited to talk about and the team that I've been covering exclusively with Ryan Calores, the football team, is where we're going to start. So let's welcome Ryan Calores into the show. How's it going, Ryan? Man, it's great. You know, it's football season. I'm so excited. I can't wait. It is definitely football season, and the excitement is at an all-time high, it feels like, in Mount Pleasant right now after the Oklahoma State loss. We dropped the first game of the season, 58-44, to to Oklahoma State, obviously, in Stillwater on the road. Daniel Richardson set new benchmarks for himself in the game with 424 passing yards while tying his record in passing touchdowns with four. He had multiple targets as Fall State transfer Jalen McGoy finished the day with six catches for 126 yards and two touchdowns, shining in his first appearance in maroon and gold. Carlos Carrier, a transfer from Maryland, also showed up big for the passing game, finishing with five catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. Joel Wilson, six for 64. The wide receivers had a great day. The rushing game, which everybody knows Lou Nichols is the returning leading rusher of the nation from 2021. He only had 72 yards on 26 attempts, but he had two touchdowns, so he made up for it in the end. Now let's get into what happened. So, obviously, they were down big at one point, Ryan. It seemed like the game was over. It seemed like people were tuning out, and all of a sudden, Daniel Richardson comes back. It was described to me as a violent swing of points throughout the game. What are your thoughts on how it played out, and what positives do you think they're pulling away from this? Yeah, man, I uh, I think that's a perfect description of, of the story of this game. I mean, uh, you know, obviously in the first half, things were looking pretty ugly pretty quick if you watch the game. You know, CMU could really couldn't do a whole lot. The running game, like we talked about, I, Oklahoma State's D-line kind of just stifled Lou Nichols. I think that's kind of somewhat uh, telling of where the line is at right now after losing Bernard Raymond and Luke Gadecki to the NFL draft last year. It's a great point, too. Yeah, so they, uh, you know, now they have two new uh, tackles in Heinzen and Swartout. Yeah, they're very young. They're very young players, but they're this is their first moment to really shine as a Chippewa. So. And to be honest... I, I thought they held up in pass coverage. Um, I, I think it really was. I think there's going to be a learning curve when it comes to run blocking just because, you know, run blocking is, is a little bit less of, um, you know, your your form and whatnot, and it's kind of just getting after it. And I think you really need some games under your belt. I mean, especially against a Power 5 opponent like Oklahoma State. I mean, they were ranked 12th in the AP poll coming in. I think they moved up to 11 after this game. So, you know. They were they were trying to block some dudes, no doubt. But but I you know I don't really I think that you can only really be uh, excited about what they did because they didn't you know they weren't getting beat every play and they didn't look out of place. Um, so those tackles coming in trying to replace uh, Gedeke and and Bernard Raymond. I mean, you know there there's reason to be excited. But I think the really like the story of the game and you kind of mentioned it was Daniel Richardson quarterback D rich as he's known around here um you know like we talked about it was kind of a blowout in the first half no um, got out of hand very fast yeah and you know what M- most guys would have just laid down and kind of just been like all right we'll look to next week but uh but not Daniel Richardson nope. that guy's a gamer we know that you talk about the benchmarks the career highs when we talked to him after the game he, like he didn't he wasn't even aware of that stuff and he also mentioned this in the summer earlier he kind of talked about like you know the individual stats will figure themselves out. Like, if we're getting wins, those stats will be there. I'm not worried about the stats. I'm worried about leading this team and, and you know, being the quarterback. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's exciting because you can, you can tell that McIlwain saw the leadership quality in him. That's why he went in last year in the Florida International game. Yeah. Um, he held his starting spot from there for the rest of the season. And it's, it's really all due to that leadership. I think. No, and I like that you mentioned that. I forgot that he didn't know that what his stats were at the end of the game. Andy Snedden had to fill him in during the media press conference, which is crazy. If I was balling like he was, I know I'm knowing everything. <laughs> I got marks on my wristband, like I put up four touchdowns. But I think that, and this is something that Carlos Carrier spoke to earlier this week, and we kind of got a little bit after the game is 
D. Rich was not ready to quit. He was not letting them go. In the huddle, he was telling them, don't worry about it. Don't put your heads down. And I think that's what this team needs because there's going to be growing pains. It's obvious. There's too much transition and too much flux at positions where things need to figure themselves out through playing time. You know what I mean? The defensive secondary, we'll get to that in a couple minutes, but those types of things are going to figure themselves out as players step up through more game time. But the offense, I don't think there's going to be any real, like, Growing pains with that offense. If Daniel Richardson, he was the most accurate I've ever seen him since I've been here. He was 23 for 26 at one point in the game, throwing darts, putting it on people that only Tom Brady's making throws like this. But that's got to continue because drops are going to be a problem. He, it wasn't that he was missing people. It was the drops from wide receivers. Jalen McGoy had 11 targets, only caught six of them. That's going to be a problem that they need to shore up. But they also, the wide receivers mentioned they want to work on consistency. That's something the DBs have talked about like. There's a lot of focus on getting better as the season progresses, and I don't think they're putting the pressure on themselves or looking at the game like, oh, we lost, what was me, and the season. And I know they're not, actually, because after the game, Dan Richardson's talking about the MAC championship is still our goal. So I like where this team is headed. Yeah, no, he's he's a leader for sure. And and you talked about um, the receivers and how they, you know, how they want to build some consistency. And, you know, you're going to get that when you have uh, – you know, two two out of the your starting three receivers are transfers. You know, and it's it was not, really their first time taking live bullets. Like it was their first time in action with D. Rich. So you're right, that will be a problem, and that's something I overlooked mm-hmm. when I was going into the season. Yeah, and I mean, even with that being said, like look what they did. I mean, McGoy he he was pretty much the the, the number one playmaker as in the receiving game. You know, he had those two touchdowns. He had. I think one of them was 54 yards. And um, that 54-yard reception, he was damn near tackled. And he breaks out of it somehow, and now he's off to the races. I like that you mentioned it because that is a great sign for what we've got. And to be honest, um, one thing that I saw from Carrier that um, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting was it, it looked like he was pretty ready to to go like you know over the middle and make some uh, make some catches, take some hits. And you know no he's doubt. he's a taller guy, he's thinner. Um, you didn't really know if you were going to see that, but, I mean, shoot, he was fearless out there. And uh, obviously very different receivers, but it reminded me in a sense of uh, Pimpleton where, like, last year he wasn't scared to go over the middle. I mean, he knew he no, was going to get hit, but, um, you know, half the time he was outrunning the guy anyway, so he didn't have to worry about getting hit. But but regardless, it's kind of just – I really do think there's a mentality when it comes – because, you know, a lot of times you'll kind of just see a slot receiver or a tight end you know, they're kind of absorbing all of that, like, over-the-middle, mid-range yeah. type uh, receiving game. You're but, spot on with that, though. So, so yeah, I think uh, I think what we've seen, I think Carrier can play in or out. I think I think a guy like McGoy, you're just going to want him to be on the outside because he can stretch the field. Um, he's got that he's Calvin tall. type ability. Calvin Johnson is who he reminds me of so much. And, and he's listed at 225 pounds, like – and he carries it well. That's a solid. Yeah, that's a solid <laughs> guy. A solid on the outside. dude. So I think he's gonna stay there because you know he's got wheels and and he's got that height. But uh, I like that you mentioned about Carrier too because when the season was opening, I looked at it like Dixon's gonna replace Khalil Pimbleton. Carrier's gonna replace Jacory Sullivan. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be the more possession wide receiver, and that's exactly what he's done. He's been that guy who, like you said, isn't afraid to go over the middle. He'll make that sideline catch, reaching over the top of a defender. He's got to pick on his IG that's out cold of him with his hands over the top of this dude. And I'm like, <laughs> I like to see that because that shows that CMU has gotten this reputation in my mind, especially Antonio Brown, Khalil Pimpleton, smaller wide receivers who are very fast mm-hmm. who make things happen. These are gigantic wide receivers at this point. Like we were just saying, McGoy is a very big dude. He's got wheels. If you try to cover him one-on-one, you made the worst mistake of the night. Like. <laughs> That's what you see from Carrier also has that ability because he's fast, but he doesn't have that body. So to see him crossing the middle, and when you cross the middle in the mag, them linebackers are here to take your head off. It is a different level. I'm excited to see if he continues it, but I like what we're seeing from him now where it's he's fearless, as you said. His hands are sure, and he's been – he wasn't obviously Richardson's main target, but he was a target he could go to when he needed or when he was going through his progressions. And I like that. Yeah, and you know, you saw. I mean, he had the first touchdown of the game. Like for a second, it kind of looked like you know maybe maybe that's who Richardson's gonna go to. And yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us saw McGoy being like coming on the way he did. The I, only person who did, and I'm gonna give this man credit, is Christian Boer. He said to <laughs> me he torched CMU when he played us, 
And I was like, all right, I'll keep an eye on him. And then he torched Oklahoma State for us. So, like, I, that man did see it coming. Shout out to Christian. Shout out to him. Maybe he I'm, would see that. <laughs> sorry to interrupt you on it, but I was like, yo, he did see it. The man <laughs> did know. I really like the way, like, the direction this group is headed because you see that the talent is there. No doubt. And we talked about the cohesion and the, um, you know, just the – just playing together and being consistent and that's going to come with with games and i think by the time we really get to, like into the thick of the conference schedule like i don't think this is even going to be a conversation to be honest no i agree and another group that i think needs to find consistency is the secondary but we did see some people who stood out i think thomas and coom with his one sack and he he was a a problem for oklahoma state's offensive line and they're supposed to be one of the top ones in the nation at this point Trey Jones looked good. He had moments where he was hit or miss, but he led the team in tackles. DJ Stepney, who I've constantly heard about, he had eight total tackles. And then the Kent brothers both stood out. Like, There's going to be some consistency that needs to go on throughout the team and cohesion and gelling. But what do you think you saw from the defense? And is there anything? Because, yeah, the score was out of hand at one point, but it didn't keep getting out of hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think I think it really starts in the front seven, man. I mean, I, I just that D line they got they have so much depth, and I say that literally as they started a, a redshirt freshman and uh, Michael Heldman, and you know, a lot of times that will be a sign of thin depth, but it's really not. No, like that's just, I think that's kind of more of a testament to what he's shown and what he can do. Um, but yeah, I mean. In Coombe, you talked about he's going to be the biggest playmaker probably on that line. Um, it's it's not a one to one comparison, but In reminds me a little bit of uh, of Mike Dana. Um, you know, CMU fans will remember him from a few years ago. Uh, he was he was just a monster when it comes to creating pressure. You yeah. know, pressuring the quarterback. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I think he was like one of the top in the nation in in pressures. And I I want to see what In can do because he's like the guy's already got an NFL body, no doubt, and, and yeah. he's got the motor, and you know he's he's a transfer from a smaller school, so he's kind of like worked his way up, um, and you know I really don't see any reason to believe that he's not going to be. Um, I mean, I would imagine probably the leader in sacks. It's, it's obviously really early to make a prediction like that, but but man, I just think he's going to produce up there, and I think you're right. I don't. It might be early, but I. I think he's going to be the guy that takes the charge in the sack game. He's got to be. Otherwise, the defense is going to struggle mightily. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, and then moving back um, to the linebackers. This is where um, I thought we'd need to see a little more. To yeah, be and you know what? It kind of felt like like it kind of felt like we really weren't, you know, making comments. Like as we were we were watching the game, it, it, it didn't really seem like they came came up much. And that can be can be a good thing, you know, if you're not sticking out as far as doing bad things, that can be a good thing. But yeah. at the same time, uh there weren't as many I guess just big plays made as, as you would maybe like to see. Um I think at the end of the year all all of CMU fans were we're kind of circling the name Kyle Moretti as a name for uh Ben had had a circle since last year. I'm yeah. Waiting. And and I, I really do believe that I mean that guy still gets after it. Um Oh yeah. He uh he's a hard hitter. Um he's quick to the ball, you know, he'll swarm, he'll um in somewhat similar to uh you know, if if you've watched uh, Hard Knocks, um everybody's fallen in love with Malcolm Rodriguez, who yeah. who is former Oklahoma State. Um that's who he reminds me of. Maybe not necessarily as his play style, but just the way he's kind of a magnet to the ball and and gets after it all the time. Too. So yeah, so I want to see him. Um, and then earlier this summer, Daniel Richardson mentioned uh, Justin Whiteside, another uh, another linebacker, as a guy who gives him a lot of trouble in practice. So um, so I'm excited to see what that uh, what that duo can do. Um, and then getting to the secondary, I know you kind of uh, touched on them a little bit, but uh, but yeah, there's there were some uh, some issues in the first half. Um, they patched it up a little bit in the second half. You know, they looked a lot better, um, but but I think there's still just kind of a question mark um, at the other corner spot opposite of Dante Kent. You know, Dante Kent's got that role locked down. Uh, he was pretty spectacular last year. Um, as a redshirt freshman, and I, no I, doubt, and I don't see any reason he's not just going to build on that. I mean, he's he's awesome in run support. Uh, he's sticky in coverage. You know, I think he had like 15 passes defended last year. Um, 
But opposite him, it, it's it's still kind of up in the air, you know. Uh, Rolian Sturkey, uh, senior, he got the start. Um, there were some times where he looked a little bit out of place. Um, there were times where he was there, didn't quite make the play. Um, but I I think the most intri- what we really saw was uh, Dante's brother Ronald. That he he was intriguing, you know. Um, He's the most sure tackling person on the team right now. It feels like. Yeah, and we've talked about this a lot, but but yeah, he gets after it out there, and uh, you know. He's not very big, but he's fearless. You know, he's not afraid to go up and hit anybody. And and I think, if if you don't have an answer as far as um, pure skill, like if you don't have another guy who's like a fantastic coverage guy or something, yeah. then you know, like if you're thinking about who you want to put out there, it's going to be a guy who's going to set an example for the team, um, kind of play with that fire that you want to see across the roster. And uh, and yeah, I think Ronald brings that. And you know, as as far as storylines writing themselves with uh Dante and Ronald starting together um I just think that'll be that would be such an interesting element um I'm really excited to see how they utilize him uh coming up in the South Alabama game I like that you mentioned the brother element because there's brothers in the wide receiver room with Carlos and Mateo Carrier now I like that you mentioned the linebackers and this is something I just recently thought about Spencer Sanders had to run a lot but it was because the back or the pocket was collapsing on him it could be that the linebackers were just getting washed down when he's taking off. And why they didn't stand out as much. Because, like, I thought that we would see more from Moretti off the jump. I thought they were going to send him on blitzes. I also thought he was going to spy Spencer Sanders when he started going crazy with his legs. Like, Definitely, I think the secondary is the biggest question mark. Um, but, you know, who knows what what this group can accomplish. Because they have some guys who I really think can be some playmakers. I mean... I don't even think we need to talk about Dante Kent anymore. Like he's gonna go out there, he's, he's gonna do his thing. He's gonna be in the league one day. Like that's <laughs> why I'm looking at him. He is talented. He was a freshman All American. Like he's a he's a talented dude. Yeah, he'll get some shots. He's gonna he's gonna ball. Like there's no doubt about that. And then uh, the only uh, returning uh, aside from Kent from Dante, um, the only returning uh, guy in the sa- or in the secondary who's even made a single start is uh, Trey Jones, who his only start was in the Sun Bowl game yeah. last year. So. So, you know, this guy's going from uh, just a backup kind of, like, um, fill-in role last year to being, like, the leader out there. You no know what doubt. I mean? And yeah. so so that on top of, you know, just there's a leadership aspect, the, obviously the full-time starter aspect. You know, he's got a lot on his plate, but it certainly seems like he's handling it with grace. And, uh, you know, the, the coaching staff talked about how, how well he's done just in the leadership aspect. Um, it seems like they weren't really worried about um, – his performance, uh, like, you know, I, I think everybody kind of thought that he was going to go out there and he's going to make some plays. And, and yeah. you can tell when you watch him, you know, he's a big guy. Um, he uh, He's not afraid to go up and make a tackle. You, you said he... No. Uh, he will lay the wood. So, yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I think he's just going to be a pretty steady presence out there, kind of similar to what they've had a lot in the past, you know, with a guy like Gage Kresge or a guy like Devonnie Reed. Um he does remind me a lot of Gage Kresge, just with his leadership and how he mm-hmm. looks on the field. Kresge always looked like he knew what was going on, and if you didn't, he was going to tell you. Yeah. And I feel like Trey Jones has got that same mentality, and it it seems like it just happened. After yeah. talking to him, I was like, oh, you're a leader. Like I know, yeah, no, I got the same impression. You can feel it. It oozes mm-hmm. out of him. So, like, I like I like where he's at, and I like him as the leader of that defense. Yeah, and then next to him in the safety room, uh, you got Jaden Davis. He's a Juco guy, but um, – but, I mean, man, early on he showed some playmaking chops. He goes crazy. I think yeah. he's going to be nuts for this team. Mm-hmm. So, so, And I, I think that's a really good dynamic to have is kind of the more steady uh, Jones in the back kind of, you know, essentially the quarterback of the defense. So that's exciting. I'm excited to see that. And then um, one last guy in the secondary, DJ Stepney. Um, he played a lot in the, uh, the nickel corner spot. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, coaches sing praise about Stephanie. It seems like every time we talk to him, coaches, every time fans, up, yeah. everywhere. I'm getting DMs about this man. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and yeah, I, I guess in the first game we didn't really see that playmaking, like big time, you know, playmaker aspect. But yeah. this was his first game as uh, full time safety, um, and you know he played. A, the majority of the snaps so um so i just with a little bit more opportunity a little bit more time you know i really want to see what he can do um he's playing you know the same role that uh, uh alonzo mccoy did last year yep um 
and obviously you know Alonzo was a stud he was he was a, a mainstay on that defense so I want to see if that's where Stephanie can get it certainly seems like um you know there's a lot of confidence that he can get there and and I believe seems like he's did. on the path to it too to yeah so so yeah as far as secondary goes there are a lot of questions but you know I'm excited to find out the answers because because this uh I think that this unit is the most intriguing to me one question that I can answer for you is who the Chippewa's next opponent is. <laughs> On Saturday, they welcome South Alabama to Kelly Short Stadium. During the game, they will rename the playing surface to Kramer Duramity Field. It will now be further known as Kramer Duramity Field at Kelly Short Stadium. That is the full name of the area. I know there was confusion when that article dropped. I'm sorry about that. I tried to clear it up in the print so that it wasn't a question. But that's the name going forward, so good luck with that mouthful. Because when you <laughs> tell people it. you're going to a game at Kramer Duramity Field and Kelly Short Stadium, people might think you're talking about a foreign country. <laughs> so good luck. Yeah, no, that's what, that's what I was thinking when I saw it. It's, it's a mouthful. But, like, you know, it is it is a pretty cool initiative. And uh, Oh, yeah. I'm glad that they're doing it. I'm glad that they're giving back to coaches, and they're going to have Kramer and Duramity in attendance at the South Alabama game for the naming of the field. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is also cool. Get these people back in the building. It's it's, it's such a cool story that's unfolding, um, seemingly out of nowhere. But I think uh, McElwain talked about um, not sleeping on this team, essentially, and I think that uh, with, with the festivities going on and whatnot, I think it could be easy to like get get a little wrapped up and get a get a little caught up, but I think McElwain's gonna make sure this doesn't happen because he was, uh, you know, talking about um, South Alabama. He really had nothing but praise about them. You know, he mentioned their head coach Kane Womack, who who started last year. Um, he went five and seven, but but McElwain was like, this isn't the squad that they saw last year. Yeah. You know, they have they've gotten some transfers. I know in the running back room they have like three different transfers. Um, and I think they rushed for 176 yards against Nichols State last uh, last week. Um, obviously, this front seven is not the same as Nichols State, but but that's one of those things where it's like you can't sleep on that yeah. because they got guys who can pound the ball, and they're not gonna like you know they're gonna be a physical team, similar to how Gundy talked about uh, CMU in Week One, and and Coach Mack talked a lot about their defense as well. Um, and one of the main themes he talked about was how well this team plays together. Um, he said, you know, watching some film, he was, he was very impressed. Um, so I'm really excited to see, uh, how this team can match up. I think we were kind of talking about some of our predictions we made and, you know, we might be a little bit off as far as, um, the gap between these two. You're going to be closer than me. We'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, I, uh, um, I think one of, and, and one of the most interesting uh, wrinkles of this uh, this game is quarterback Carter Bradley, you know, coming in from Toledo. Yeah. Um, Coach Mack talked about him. He kind of mentioned him in the same breath as uh, Spencer Sanders from last week, you know, a guy that will really just tear you up and gash you up if, uh, if you're not diligent about how you defend that kind of player. I found some stats on South Alabama that's starting to make me swing into more of where McElwain's at with it. The Jaguars are currently 1-0 after they beat down on Nichols, 48-7. to mm-hmm. It's a big spread. Yeah. It's almost what we were facing at one point. They've won their last two road openers, including a 2019 win over Bowling Green last year. So they've beaten a MAC team on the road already. They've got that experience. Now, as you mentioned, it's a different quarterback. Let's get into that quarterback a little bit. Carter Bradley passed for 332 yards last game, 217 of it came after the catch that's why i think it's important to keep the wide receiver in front of you Mm -hmm. the way ronald kent tackles is the way that you're going to stop these yards after the catch because yeah you can take that little short turnaround button hook whatever if we tackle you after four you're not going to you're going to have to try to switch and you're going to go deeper and that's when we're going to catch you because trey jones back there Jaden davis back there they're going to ball hawk they're going to dj stepney he's going to ball hawk back there you know i mean these people are going to go get after it and I think on top of that, you know, you got um, – I, I think this game will really lend itself to some of the pass rushers and, and oh, yeah, being yeah. able to con- create consistent pressure so so Bradley's got to release the ball quicker. And, you know, in that case, if, you're, if your front seven is doing their job and, like, put, putting pressure on the quarterback, then the DBs don't have to stay in coverage for, like, yep. five, six seconds, you know? If it, you can get Everybody after. helps everybody in that scenario, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think – 
much more so this game than last game. Um, I think that added element will be um, will just be in the fold for the defense and and yeah, man, I, I, I honestly I can't wait. I can't wait to see how uh, you know how CMU bounces back after having a you know we we already talked about how Oklahoma State you know Power Five ranked in the top fifteen whatever um, to South Alabama. So I think I think you have to strike a balance between um, realizing that this opponent is not on the level of your other. Of, yeah. of your last opponent, but still not, you know, sleeping on them like we talked about. And I don't think CMU will sleep on them. I I think that McElwain is right. This is a look-ahead game kind of where it's like uh, it doesn't really matter. They face Bucknell next. They don't really got a game until Penn State as far as what the national media and what the people outside are going to think in my mind. But I don't think D. Rich is going to let them do that. I don't think Trey Jones is going to let them do that. I don't think either side of the ball we're going to have that problem. I got some high hopes right now that the Mac – championship is not that far out of reach there's a couple teams we're gonna have to take down obviously but like, this squad is has so much potential and when you look at them on the field I thought we were getting blown out by Oklahoma State I came into it with that mentality that's what we saw early and then you saw that turn where D Rich was like not today and it just that team looks like a team that nobody wants a problem with I almost put I vote in the student media poll. I almost put CMU in my top 25 just because of that performance. You know what I'm saying? Like, that offense is scary. And there's teams like Iowa out there that everybody's hyping up. They got a good defense. They ain't got crap for offense. So, like, I'd, I'd rather be CMU right now. While there is hope with the Central Michigan football program, the same cannot be said for CMU soccer currently. They are 1-5 in, in non-conference play with one game before the max season starts, and most recently they lost to Michigan 7-0 in Mount Pleasant. To talk further about this, we welcome on Ashley Berkness. How's it going, Ashley? It's good. Busy day. It's almost over. It's definitely a busy day. Thursdays in Mount Pleasant are the worst days when it comes to school. So, as I mentioned, the soccer team has not had a good year. What do you think the biggest struggle has been for the team? Definitely injury. They have... A lot of girls that are injured and that has definitely put up some younger players that have kind of had to step up into roles with they might not have as much experience which that could definitely be a factor in, oh no doubt into the results of these games no and that's I didn't know and this was something you and I've talked about we'll let the fans in a little inside baseball I got a DM from somebody on Twitter asking about a goalie for the soccer team and that's when I found out that injuries were even an issue. I thought this was just who they were running out there. So when has Coach Groves talked to you about the injuries and has he said when people are coming back or any expectations on that? Um, no, he hasn't. He's just brought up the fact that there's a lot out there and they've had to ad- adapt and adapt quickly. One of the positions we assume there's a problem with injuries is goalkeeper. As Allison Point, a junior who this great person on Twitter asked me about, has not been playing, but Emma Shingler and junior Kendall Krupaziewicz have been playing goalie. What have you seen from the freshmen specifically? She started the season as their goalie, yeah. as the starter. What have you seen from her? Uh, yeah, she's she has a lot of control on the ball that I've noticed, and she's had a very impressive stops I've, from what I've seen. And same with Kendall. She, like in the Michigan game, she did very well. She had six saves in the first half. And she had some really good ones. She also has very good control on the ball as well. Uh, But in that second half, I think that she got a little tired. Michigan, they kind of held more control on the ball versus the first half. So I think that that definitely got her. She kept that game closer than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be a blowout from the jump, to be real. Once I saw Michigan on the schedule, it was the same way for field hockey. I was like, this isn't going to end well. No. It ended a lot better than I thought. Yeah, 7-0 loss is horrible. But as your story says, it didn't really start getting bad until the second half. Right, And yeah. late into the second half. What were Grove's thoughts after the game on how his team performed? He also, he felt like the first half they they did a better job than what he was expecting. He talked previously, like before the Michigan game, he thought that they're gonna, they knew that he was going to, they were going to have the ball the whole time. He yeah. was, um, but that he kind of had this mentality that, um, they needed to sit deeper and defend them. He mentioned about in the second half they kind of slipped into their old ways, and I think that kind of also has something to do with the numbers and the players with experience not being able to take on the top teams that they are facing. No, I agree. That's an incredible point because I didn't think about it. When the game gets late and 
you're in the 65th minute. The substitutions are vital to keep right. fresh legs on the field. When you're when you're down your star goalie, when you're down other players throughout the roster, and you can't go to them, now it's all on the young players. But that will also teach them that even when it, it's as bad as it can be, there's something you can take from that too. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about who's in the net for the Chippewas. Who have been their stars on the offensive end? Who's really been the person you're like, oh, they're they're controlling it? Yeah, um, I've seen an amazing performance from Jalen Dabrowski. From what I've seen, she's always just – she's very quick. She's very aggressive, and especially in that Michigan game, like majority of the time when they were down there by the goal, it was her. She was – she was hustling. She was beating them out and trying to get into that position of finding someone or finding it on her own to potentially score a goal. No, and I think that's important, especially she's a junior. This team's only got two seniors on it. Like yeah. It's, it's very young, so to see her standing out, she's going to be there at least one more year. Right. I know this is something that people hate to look at, but this is almost a situation where I feel like you need to look at next season because the players that they've got now, they're only going to lose two of them. Everybody should return. They should add more depth. Right. How does it feel with the coach? Do you think that's the way they're looking at it, or are they coming after it every game? Like, we're still here to win the MAC championship. Um, I definitely feel like it's kind of like one of those rebuilding years, definitely. I think, um, especially with him talking about, like, slipping into those old habits, I think his, like, his thought is, well, let's get rid of those, like, old habits and, like, throw them out the door, get these new players the different mentality and playing the way they want to play so they can, yeah. like, be ready next season. I think that that is a good way to look at it because mm-hmm. it's very hard to keep your positivity when the team is struggling. Now, like we said, they're playing competition levels that are up there. Michigan is right. – they're not going to see that every day when the conference schedule comes around. But the conference isn't weak either. Mm-hmm. Women's soccer in the MAC is a force. Intense. And we – it's going to be a rough year for them, it feels like, on my mind. I don't know if that's what you think, too, but this start doesn't give me so much hope that I can float away like the movie Up, you know what right, I mean? Right, like, yeah. It'll definitely be a challenge. With the freshman that he's got, especially Shingler, I thought she was incredible. Yeah. I think she's a very good goalie. And to know that's your backup behind LaPointe when she comes back, the future's bright. Oh, yeah. When now, I'm... hopefully LaPointe's got a job when she comes back because – Shingler's not going to give it up easy, no. you know what I'm saying? yeah. On Sunday at noon, they welcome Eastern Illinois to Mount Pleasant. They're finally getting a team that doesn't seem like it's going to dominate them. What are you expecting from the team, and what do you think are the keys to the victory? I think it's – so it's senior day on Sunday. I think they kind of – I hope they have this mentality of, like, let's go out, let's play for the seniors. I think that's great motivation for them. I think they need to bring that first half of the Michigan game where – they were right there with them. They were hustling. They were playing back. I think they need to bring that into Sunday and continue. I know it's harder said than done. Yeah. But they just need to play both halves. I feel like they're kind of like this one-half team right now, and I think that's where they're kind of like struggling. But, yeah, I think if they put both of that effort into both halves, I think the outcome will be pretty good. No, I agree with you. From what I saw, it felt like they were a, a different team between the first half and the second yeah. half. Yeah. Now, I haven't been as in deep on the team as you have been, but I do think that's a problem that they've got to shore up, and if they don't shore it up, it's only going to get worse as the season goes on. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, right now they're they're hanging close with people because they still got that pride about them. Once you've got ten losses and you start to get five in a row, it's like, yo, this I don't even want to pull up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, I can understand that side of it. What do you think? Do you think they turn things around at the end of the season? Do you think this is going to be a rough year for you the whole way through? I I have hope. I think they can turn it around towards the end of the season. I think they've kind of got that they that first like half of the season where they're kind of like, oh gosh, like I think it's kind of clicking. Especially seeing them after the Michigan game, yeah. seeing them just sit there and be like, wow, that really just happened. Like they had a chance. I think that it'll finally click in their head and be like, we have potential. Like they definitely do, and I think they know that. I think they just need to kind of work together help each other out, pick each other up, and I think they can turn it around for the end of the season. No, I like that mentality, and I think you're 100% right on it. Now, this is a question I have, and it's more of a Sean question, but isn't it early for a senior night? It feels like 
We're way too early right. to be celebrating the end of this already. I know. I thought, like... Are we throwing the towel in? <laughs> Is it over? Right. No, I feel like normally, like, if they're not towards, like, they're towards the end of the season. It's normally the last home right. game of the season. I, I haven't looked deep at the schedule to be like, are they going on a 10-game road run right no. now? No. Like, no, I... Yeah, I thought the same thing. I just wanted to know if I was the only person on this train <laughs> with, like, what no. is going on. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Ashley, and I will speak again next week. Yeah. And now, a word from our sponsor. Green Tree Co-op Market is ready for fall. Their new location is just one mile from CMU's campus and open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily, offering more fresh, delicious local options than ever before, including a bakery and a daily hot bar. This location also has indoor and outdoor seating, larger produce and meat departments, and a student discount every Friday. Stop by anytime for fresh coffee, quick snacks, easy meals, hair and skin care, savory soups, and all the fall essentials. Green Tree, now at 410 West Broadway, Mount Pleasant. Visit greentree.coop for more information. And now we welcome on CM Life field hockey beat reporter James Bessenhofer. How's it going, James? It's been uh, great. Thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, the field hockey season so far, it's been up and down, but uh, we got a great away stretch coming up in Pennsylvania, and hopefully we could take advantage of it. And you mentioned it. It has been a rough year. They're currently on a three-game losing streak. They're one and three, and some of these games haven't been close. Yeah, it's been a tough schedule, the four games. We got a win in the season opener against St. Louis. They're winless. That was kind of an easy opponent. Yep. And then we really got tested by American. They were ranked 20, 21st in the nation when we played them. Ohio next. They've been undefeated. They've been really good in the MAC so far. And uh, then Michigan. Yeah, I mean, they were they're ranked third in the nation. So Powerhouse. They yeah, are a powerhouse of a team. Just a bunch of powerhouse teams that we face right now. It's And... Uh, we haven't had a home game since the exhibition game uh, in early mid-August against Michigan State. We've had one away game against Michigan. And then the three other games, technically they're home games to us because they were in the first two were in East Lansing against St. Louis and Ohio and compared to where they are, technically a home game. But still, still got to get on a bus. Still got to go on a bus, neutral site game. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, one and two in neutral site games and uh, 0-1 in away games against Michigan. Obviously, that one didn't go well. No, that, and we'll get into that one. I wanted to talk about Ohio first because, like you mentioned, they are a MAC competitor, and they're a very good team. Yeah. What did you see from CMU that shows you going into the MAC competition they're going to be able to compete with the likes of Ohio? Or is it, like, doom and gloom over there? Uh, the fact, I would say, is uh, we held our own for the most part uh, in that game. Uh, only lost by three. I think we played great. Also in that game, we started a freshman goalie, Maha Halas, who played a great game. Uh, even though she let up five goals, there was a lot of shots that were coming at her. Uh, either they were wide, off the net, off the post. Out of the nine shots that came at her, she saved four of them, which for a true freshman in her first collegiate game isn't bad at all. The season's really going to rely on Kate Biglin and Alice O'Hagan. Those have been the one-two punch for CMU so far this season. Yeah. If you look at every game, they have the most shots. They have the most goals on the team. Uh, actually, the stat for the first four games, Alice O'Hagan has played all four games. She has two goals, and she has seven shots. And then when you go to Kate Biglin, she's played all four games, has one goal, one assist, and has six shots. No one on the team has, has taken three shots so far in the season. So those are really going to be your one-two offensive weapons oh, no doubt, yeah. for the whole season, it looks like. And also... That's a big discrepancy, too, to be honest with you. like They're really carrying the load right now. Yo, they are. If you look at all the stats, it's just those two carrying the offensive weight. And the defense... You could say the defense has been weak, but with just having a one-two punch on offense, it makes the defense work defense harder because they're always on the defensive side. Every team we've played, it's always time of possession has not been a good thing for us this season. And another thing, we talked about the start, but if you look, there's 24 girls on the roster. 12 of them are freshmen and sophomores, and six girls on the team are seniors. So you're looking at a really young team that coach Johnstone is really working with right now and once she gets some players and gets her recruiting class in we'll expect to see good things from her no and I like that you touched on that because it is a young group and it's also a coach who was in her first year in Mount Pleasant 
as former coach Catherine Ostich left the t- program. One of the things you've got to understand going into this, I guess, people on the outside, is that with a brand new head coach, we're going to see more from her in year two probably than year one. But the freshman that she has, like Mahalaz, is talented. The Michigan game was 9 nothing, and it wasn't out of hand until later in the game. It, it didn't start out where they're just pounding it in and dominating us. It was close enough where we could have came back, you know what I mean? And that's it's a sign going forward. Now we need to see if they can fight back from a deficit because they haven't seen that yet. No. And uh, Coach Johnson will have her success. I mean, she took in 2012 she took her Hassan squad and won the NAC regular season title. She's been named 2012 NAC Coach of the Year. So she is a great coach. Yeah. And uh, she was an assistant f- for a while at Michigan State. So this is really her time to get, like, her first, like, D1 major collegiate head coaching job so it is going to take her a while to get used to her squad and when you got when you're a coach and you got a new squad you have to rely on those seniors to really play for you she's got roots to a good program hopefully she can build that same type of program here one thing i want to see in the future is the uh goalkeeping battle here in the first two games they started uh junior katie maxim and i thought she played terrific and then uh even though they went one and one those first two games, I mean American twenty one first team. They were talented. They were very good. very talented, <laughs> very and good. they lost their first game of the season. So they're really looking for revenge and against us. So yeah. it was a, it was kind of a revenge tour for them. You never want to be on the other side of that. <laughs> never want to be on the other side of that. For Ohio, they put in yeah the freshman who in her first collision game, Maha Halaz, and uh, even though she took that loss, she had. She had four saves, let up five. It was an all right game for her in the f- her first collegiate game. And uh, they started her again in Michigan, and she didn't play her best in the Michigan game. And they took her out, and they put Katie Maxim in. Katie Maxim got tested in a, in a second against Michigan. Like, they came right at her. Shots left, right, everywhere. And she came for the test. In the third quarter, she made eight saves. Michigan in the third quarter took 10 shots on goal, and she saved eight of them. I think that's a goal you got to lead with going into the future. Yeah, you well, can't be mad about that either. That's You stop 80% of the shots you face, like, we're going to ride with you. I think you just got to stick with her. She's 27 saves. I think that the battle, while it's cool to see some freshmen get some run, if Katie Maxim is willing to show up to the test after being benched when she is more experienced player at this level, you know what I mean? And she didn't quit. She came back firing. Maybe that benching created some fire in her. And now she knows that, like, any second she can lose her job to Maha Halas. This weekend they play Bucknell on Friday at 4 p.m. in Pennsylvania, as you mentioned. And then Sunday they finish up against Lock Haven at noon. What are your expectations from this weekend? Do you see us pulling out any wins this weekend? Because this losing streak's got to stop at some point. Going into this – road trip to Pennsylvania this weekend is very interesting. Uh, Friday, they go, they play against Bucknell. Uh, Bucknell is winless, and I know we only have one win, but if you look at... uh, One's more than zero, though. Yeah, if you look at uh, strength of schedule, it'll definitely, definitely lean to the Chippewa side, so I expect us to win that game. Against Lockhaven, they are undefeated, but again, if you look at the strength of schedule and the teams we've played and the teams that they've played definitely leans towards us and that's what I am uh, looking forward to see once we play these MAC teams and these smaller teams we have the experience of playing already two ranked teams in the top 25 this year we should be able to dominate in the MAC or at least compete at least compete we're tied for tied there's seven teams we're tied for six with a one and three record so but it's early it's early and that will turn around once people start playing mac games we'll see how it really shakes out yeah really shakes out and then after that road trip we play two straight mac opponents really get the mac season started so we'll see against bellarmine we'll have our first actual home game this year on september 16th all right i appreciate you james thank you for having me sean no problem last season the central michigan volleyball team struggled to bring home wins this season, things have changed, however. To talk more about the team, we welcome on Megan Youngblood and Kaya Zimmerman. How's it going, Megan? I'm doing good today, Sean. How are you doing? Can't complain. How's it going, Kaya? Good. Excited to be here. Currently, the CMU volleyball team is in the middle of its non-conference schedule, tournament play, and whatnot. They're 5-1 and one on the season. And in my opinion, the standouts have been Mallory Hernandez and Natalia Regiment, 
what are your thoughts on how the season has played out, Megan? I think this season's played out um, a lot better than last year. You know, I think they have a new found confidence is what the biggest thing that's different from last year. You know, the bringing in Mallory Hernandez and all these other players that have stepped up. I mean, they lost eight seniors last year, so you had to bring something in to kind of replace those eight seniors. Even if they weren't everyday starters, they're still part of that team for that squad. And I think they've found something and not even just Marilyn Hernandez coming in, but all the other players that are on their roster, not even everyday starters, are taking over the role that the seniors left behind. No, I like that you bring that up because I covered the team extensively last year. One of the seniors that they lost was Savannah Thompson, who is now with Grand Valley State University. Shout out my homeboy, Anthony. But she was a legend in CMU volleyball. Now, as you mentioned, these two newcomers who have stood out, there are multiple new additions to the team that Gullick has brought in, but Mallory Hernandez and Natalia Regman are insane. What do you think their strengths are on the court? You know, offensively, they add so much. Mallory Hernandez already has 89 kills on the season, a high of 22 against Nichols. Um, and then Natalia Regiment came out this last tournament, and she just um, showed up when Mallory Hernandez kind of had an off game against Youngtown State. She showed up and then was able to finish out the weekend with uh, 27 kills um, and has 54 on the year so far so just they bring that offensive power that they might have lost in the previous season I think you guys bring up great points about the offensive side of the court what Hernandez and Regiment bring I also think an overlooked side of Regiment's game is how well she assists and digs it's very rare to see an outside hitter get that many digs and assists while helping keep pace in the lead of the kills but another thing that I've seen in your guys' article specifically and it's pretty easy to notice when they're stacking up blocks like they are. Ellie Medendorp and Maddie Whitfield have stood out and have excelled past where they were at any point last season. What is Gallick's thoughts about how they have played, Megan? His thoughts are that they're a great combination together. I mean, last game against um, the St. Louis Billikens, they won, Maddie, they, one had 10 blocks and one had five. So they're blocking down that middle of the court and Golic just keeps emphasizing that point that to them together they're unstoppable and like they're not going to get balls down that court because they're just stepping up and blocking them and I mean they're both their senior some of their senior players you know Ellie's and both her seniors uh Whitfield's an old lady as Golic says you know but uh I think she's really coming back from the injury that she had last year that you mentioned Sean and I think both of them are just trying to prove that they're still here to play you know yeah, and I think that's something people don't realize either is Maddie had a good season to start the year and then she did something to her leg and was in a walking boot the rest of the year. Now she's finally getting to have that real senior year. She missed out playing alongside because if we would have had Maddie Whitfield and Elizabeth Rosario Martinez last year together, that rotation would have been insane and it would have helped our outside hitters. So I do think the having 25 kills apiece at this point in the season between Medendorp and Whitfield is insane. And it's a big reason why we're able to go on three, four, five-point runs, which has been the biggest swing of sets, in my opinion. Ali Gertiza, talking about defensively, having that person in the backcourt to get those digs for your team huge of a huge importance. Having 119 digs already, the high of 27 digs in a game. And she's also helping on the assist side with 32 assists on the season. Um, she just adds a lot to the defensive side. And she's been that way since she showed up. The first week of her freshman campaign last season, she was MAC Defensive Player of the Week. She struggled as the team struggled, but 119 kills through six games is crazy. Like, there's a lot of points, and some of these sets have gone longer. You guys have seen some 28-point wins, but that's still a crazy stat. Do you think that they're going to be able to keep that up, Megan? Do you see? Because in my, in my most recent column, I have predicted – an upset in week one. I also said they're going to surprise in the MAC. I didn't say it outright, but I believe they're going to win the MAC championship. Do you see them continuing this pace or am I out of line, the crazy person in the room? No, I definitely see them continuing this pace because even when they fall back and are get maybe a little behind in their sets, there's always that moment that they get right back into it. And a lot, it ha happens with the timeouts. You know, you call that timeout and you get your team focused. And that's Golic's big focus is, he, even when you like call a timeout, it's not just like, all right, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this. And like, they just, it's just give our ladies a breather. 
let them breathe, let them reset and set off the other team. And I think that they're going to keep that pace and they're, they're calm right now. Like they, they know they're winning, but they're not, they're calm about it and they know how to act. And it's, I think that's going to keep their pace going. No, I think that calmness is important. And it was something that you didn't see last season. Do you think they're going to continue the success guy or are we going to see the bottom fall out again? You know, I wasn't here last year to see how they played. I wasn't at Central Michigan yet, but what I've seen from this team is that they know how to battle back. Every single time they lose a set, it feels as if they battle back and win the next. Going down 0-2 twice and being able to take it to a fifth set twice, winning one of those against Memphis in the first tournament. I think this team has the grit to battle back. You know, I've even talking to Golic, he said, you know, I think this team can separate one set from another. And the ability to go on to the next set after losing um, one is big deal. Um, being able to block that last set up from your memory and just continuing on. I think that's a huge aspect of winning teams. And so I think they'll continue this pace. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see when they go against, you know, Butler and Notre Dame and those kind of types of teams, see how they match up. With a couple of weeks remaining in the tournament schedule for CMU, they head to Fargo, North Dakota this weekend for the North Dakota State Tournament. They were slated to play three teams, Northern Arizona, North Dakota State, the tournament host, and Chicago State. On Thursday, September 8th, the news broke that Northern Arizona was pulling out of the tournament, so now CMU will only play two matches over the weekend. What are your guys' thoughts on how the tournament plays out? Can they continue this win streak? I think they're going to just continue what they did last week, being able to go 3-0. and That gives you a lot of confidence going into the weekend. And, uh, you know, North Dakota State's 4-2, and and Chicago State is having a bit of a rough start at 2-5. and So um, I just think they're going to continue uh, their – dominance so far in this season and uh, go into the tournament uh, being competitive and being confident. I think uh, with North Dakota State, it's going to be a bit of a battle. They kind of seem to be on fire. I mean, they have that four and two record, but I think they're going to be able to bounce back. That's their biggest thing, that even if they're down either in the match or the set, any point that they're down or it's not looking good, they've been able to come back. And I think that's their biggest thing that they're going to be able to focus on this weekend. And like Kaya said, they just came off a three and a weekend. So they're hyped, you know, they probably they're working hard in practice this week, but they're also probably like, we got this, you know, like they have that confidence, but they're not cocky about it. And I think that's their biggest thing this weekend is to have that confidence strut in with it, but don't let it get in your heads and determine the weekend. I agree completely with what you're saying. I think it's going to be a mentality thing. I think North Dakota state is the true challenge on the weekend. Northern Arizona was going to be a little bit of a test, but no matter how this weekend turns out, I'm excited to see how things end up for CME volleyball after such a rough year last year. I'm, I just want to see success for Coach Golic. And that'll do it for another episode of Maroon and Bold. For more articles on all the teams we discussed today, go to cmlife.com. Thank you for listening.